Welcome to the Voices of Aging podcast, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group, or ASIC, a student-led collaborative organization for the study of aging at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we feature guests working in different aging-related areas, and they share their experiences and wisdom. We release two episodes every month, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in to learn more about aging every time you hit play. This is Madeline with the Voices of Aging podcast. Today, our guest is Rebecca Giglio. Rebecca is a pelvic health physical therapist in Portland, Oregon. Rebecca got her doctorate in physical therapy at George Fox University and completed her residency training with M Health Fairview in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Rebecca's professional interests are pregnancy and postpartum physical therapy, as well as teaching behavioral strategies for urge urinary incontinence. In her free time, she enjoys long-distance running and exploring the outdoors of the Pacific Northwest. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Since this episode um, is focused on incontinence, pelvic health in general, let's start with some basics. First, what is pelvic health? What does that all entail? Yeah, so pelvic health physical therapy is a branch of physical therapy that focuses on women's health, whether it be urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, um, focuses on pregnancy and postpartum populations. It also um, focuses on male health. So we see some patients post-prostatectomy surgeries um, with maybe urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence and it also encompasses some pediatric populations as well um, kids with chronic constipation or um, obstructive defecation and we also treat the transgender population so there's a lot that is encompassed underneath the umbrella of pelvic health physical therapy but basically if you have a pelvis and you have any sort of pelvic disorder we will treat it (laughs) Uh, So our uh, podcast focuses on particular issues that affect older adults. So with that in mind, what are some ways that pelvic health can change over the lifespan? Yeah, there's a lot of changes that happen um, to our bodies, especially women or people going through menopause. People who experience menopause notice a lot of changes in their pelvic health. And when you come into that decreased estrogen state um, with aging, um, there's a lot of changes to the structure of the pelvic floor muscles. So that decreased estrogen essentially just means that the tissues have less ability to absorb. They get more easily irritated and you're more likely to experience incontinence because there's less support to those pelvic muscles. And then you also have the added bonus of estrogen is protective. And when you take that away, you're more likely to get urinary tract infections because the bacteria can just take space more easily when you don't have that estrogen to protect you. And then for the population of people who may have to undergo any sort of prostate surgery or anything like that, 
that enlarged prostate puts a lot of stress and a lot of strain on the urethra. So there's a lot that we can do for pelvic health physical therapy to either improve the process of urinating for um, people with an enlarged prostate to make it them a little bit more successful at getting the urine out. And for those that have to undergo any sort of surgery to either remove or change the shape of the prostate, there's a lot that we can do to help with incontinence after those surgeries. So what I would say maybe 70% of the patients that I treat are of the geriatric population. Wow, that's more than I would have guessed. Yes, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, you did. So you mentioned menopause and you mentioned enlarged prostate. Are those the most common uh, reasons that you tend to see uh, patients for pelvic health PT? Those are two common ones. I would say postpartum is another big population that I'll treat. Um, and even sometimes I'll have patients coming in and they're in their 60s now, but when they're in their 30s, they had lots of babies and they just never got treated or never knew that there was treatment out there for some of the dysfunction they were experiencing, like urinary incontinence, like urge incontinence, like um, even fecal incontinence after some of the birth trauma that they, those pelvic muscles might have experienced. I think that they say that like a third of all vaginal deliveries cause injury to the levator ani, which can lead to pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. Wow. Which would indicate, yeah, it's a lot, a third mm -hmm. of all vaginal births. So um, I get these people who are coming in now in their 60s like, yeah, I had six kids and I've never been able to go for a walk without wearing a pad or get up out of bed without um, leaking. Um, so I see a lot of that as well. Just people who didn't know that there was treatment and now are getting referred to me. Wow, that's wonderful. And I think uh, when it comes to any concerns related to pelvic health, there really is an interdisciplinary team involved. So maybe a, a patient goes to see their primary provider and brings up these concerns. But what what advice would you give maybe if any of our listeners are older and kind of thinking about this how how do you know when to maybe see a pt when to see a provider what are some red flag or um concerning symptoms to to keep an eye out for yeah um that's a really good question i think that if anyone listening to the voices of aging podcast has urinary incontinence whether you think that it's just kind of normal, like if you think everybody my age has urinary incontinence and it's nothing to worry about, I would say bring it up to your provider. And there are even certain states where you don't even have to have a provider. You can just call up your local physical therapy office if you know that they offer pelvic health physical therapy and call and get in. If you're having any vaginal or like rectal pain, or um, if you're a male and having any scrotal pain, those are all things that we can treat. Of course, if you're accompanied by any sort of low back pain, sudden changes in weight loss, or numbness and tingling in the scrotal or vaginal area, please see your doctor first. Um, but if it's pretty straightforward where 
you're just experiencing incontinence, you can go in some states without a referral to physical therapy. But there are some things that the doctors can troubleshoot prior to initiating physical therapy if you feel like you're not 100% committed to the idea of physical therapy. There are some things that you and your doctor can work through first. There are some medications for overactive bladder that can be worked out. Um, but I think I mentioned in my bio, one of my favorite things to treat is urge incontinence. And that's that feeling of, I have to go to the bathroom right now. And you rush to the bathroom and you leak on the way, which is I see in a lot of my older populations, which, you know, you were talking about multidisciplinary. If you're running to get to the bathroom and you have a balance impairment or you have a vestibular disorder where you feel unsteady on your feet, and now six, seven times a day, you're having to rush to the bathroom, um, that can lead to some more physical disabilities that you know, pelvic health physical therapy might be one of the first lines of treatment. Let's get you to stop running. Let's get your balance better. And then you don't have the potential falls in the middle of the night, um, any sort of risking injuries to get there. So I think I rambled a little too much. But <laughs> all that to say, urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, pelvic pain, any sort of gynecological surgeries, any type of abdominal pain after a hysterectomy, let's say, those would all be reasons to get in to see a pelvic health physical therapist. And there's a lot that we can do to treat you. And um, I would say, talk to your doctor about it first, if you have any concerns. And usually the doctors are good advocates for the PTs because they know that there are things that we can do that they can't do with medications. So um, your doctor will always have good resources for you as well. And I would imagine after treatment, quality of life would improve significantly because if, you know, especially with urge incontinence, if you're constantly feeling like you need to run to the to the bathroom, that getting better, I think certainly would make your day-to-day life a lot easier. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I would say the same for anyone who's having to wear pads every day, um, anyone who's having to... Uh, uh, having pain in their bladder with urinating. I mean, these are things that can be very distressing and very disruptive. And I I see it all the time. And I think physical therapists in general um, have this benefit as our job is that we see a lot of improvement and we get a lot of, we get a lot of satisfaction in our jobs from seeing that improvement. But I love pelvic health PT because you make the slightest change for someone and they come in and they're like, well, you taught me these exercises and my life has completely changed because I'm not going through pads every day. I'm not having to um, run to the bathroom every time I get an urge. I'm not having to um, be so embarrassed because I'm having this fecal leakage and um, everything like that. So I find the job very empowering because I, I get a lot of joy from um, seeing my patients improve. Oh yeah, that's that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that component of of your work. Um, I am curious too because, as you mentioned, you you did um, include some of the teaching of behavioral strategies in your bio. Um, is this something that's also done? I'm assuming, like at physical therapy visits and um, 
you don't have to give away all of your secrets, but if there's maybe <laughs> a, a common theme that you could touch on regarding the behavioral strategies that you teach, that would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite things to treat because once the patient gets it, it's so you're so fast to see results. The biggest thing is that urge incontinence is the leakage that you get when you have that overwhelming feeling of, I have to go to the bathroom right now. And if I don't go right now, something bad's going to happen. And usually that urge builds and builds and builds. And then people decide at the height of the urge that they're going to go to the bathroom right now. And I always tell people that your bladder is a toddler and that toddler is screaming in a candy store. And you know, the first thing about toddlers is that you don't give in when they're throwing a tantrum. And so the best thing to do when you have that overwhelming feeling of needing to urinate is to not go to the bathroom. And it's always seems really counterintuitive for people when I first say that they're like, but my body's telling me I have to go. So I have to go. I'm like, you will go, but not on your bladder schedule. Not when your bladder's throwing that tantrum, you're going to be the man in charge and you're going to say, no, you'll go when I say you go. <laughs> and so you have to wait and you have to let the urge calm down before you relieve yourself. And I think that that's a hard concept for people to get behind. Um, but once they do it successfully a few times and they start to see that the urge does calm down and they are able to walk to the bathroom slowly um, and relieve themselves without leaking, it's a really empowering thing for them. And they get a lot of immediate success, which I like as well. But um, I always tell people, your bladder only fills up a tablespoon in 10 minutes. So if 10 minutes ago, you didn't have that strong urge to urinate, and you do right now, there's only been a tablespoon of urine that was added. And if you wait another 10 minutes, it's only going to be another tablespoon. That's not enough to burst your bladder. You will be able to wait and go when the urge has calmed down. Wow, that's so fascinating. I love that there's a behavioral intervention. That's really cool. So I think all of us have heard and maybe even done like things like Kegel exercises. And this is, I'm assuming, you know, just one component of pelvic health physical therapy. But there's a lot in the media, I think, about Kegels and, and floor, pelvic floor strengthening exercises in particular. Kind of, what's the story there? Should, should everyone be doing these? Who, who should be doing these? So that's a complicated question. Um, I tend to think that there are patients that are appropriate for Kegels and patients that aren't appropriate for Kegels. And it's hard to give a definitive answer as to whether or not you'll be appropriate for like Kegel or pelvic muscle strengthening until you're, you see a provider. Because there are a lot of, there are kind of two roads that people will fall down where they think, you know, I'm leaking urine, so I should do Kegels, right? But sometimes, like in our really athletic populations, let's say a high school cross-country runner is leaking urine uh, towards the end of her runs. And she thinks, well, I'm going to go online and I'm going to do these Kegels because that's what the internet tells me to do. And then she introduces a contraction to potentially a muscle that's already too tight. And then she produces 
pain in her like vaginal area, pain in her perineum, because you're now strengthening a really tightened muscle that might actually need to get more range of motion as opposed to getting stronger. And so there are even adults like elderly patients with fit into this population too of their experiencing pelvic muscle tightness. And we actually just need to work on the range of motion and work on the body's like ability to get the muscle to engage at the right times and not just necessarily work on blanket strengthening. It's hard to find another muscle to equate it to, but it's like doing calf raises all day, every day, you know, won't necessarily make you a better dancer, right? Because there's a lot of intricacies to dance that don't just involve getting that one muscle stronger. And so for a lot of patients, it's hard to give a blanket statement on whether or not Kegels are appropriate. But generally speaking, if you have pain, I would not start with Kegels. Like if you have any history of pain with intercourse, pain with tampons, pain with yearly gynecological exams. If you have rectal pain, Kegels aren't the first place to start. I would maybe start on some hip stretches before I would start with Kegels um, as kind of a general (laughs) blanket statement for all those listening. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a great answer for you because it's hard to say. You can have tightness and still be leaking. So um, that's when it's good to be evaluated. Yeah, and actually, I think that's the perfect answer because really, I think Kegels are probably one of those things that have just been advertised as some kind of miracle exercise for people to do. But <laughs> the reality is you just need to be evaluated and, and figure out what's best for you. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So as we wrap up here, Rebecca, um, obviously we've we've touched on the importance of reaching out to your providers if you have any concerns. Um, but in terms of anyone listening who might just be interested in learning more about this area of physical therapy, more about pelvic health, do you have any suggestions on resources? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot out there um, information-wise like a lot of blog posts that you will see that will talk about physical therapy, a lot of TikToks that you will see about physical therapy, um, especially pelvic health physical therapy. But I would say if you're really looking to learn about like what is truly entailed in pelvic health physical therapy, if I wanted to provide find a provider, how would I do that? How can I find a Um, provider in my area to ask more questions of, I would recommend that you go to apcapelvichealth.org and um, use the resources on their page because they'll have a lot of good information about what they do, what their mission and values is, um, and how to find a therapist because pretty much anyone who does pelvic health has either taken courses through um, the American Physical Therapy Association or through Herman and Wallace. Um, And so those are just great places to go, especially APTA.org. Find what the real mission and values of pelvic health is and to find a provider that would be able to help and answer some more questions for you, as well as quite a few blog posts and articles that are posted there about different topics that may affect um, your listeners. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I've really learned a lot. I I appreciate you taking your time to share your expertise. Yeah, of course. I hope I didn't uh, 
uh, overdo it on the bladder talk I tend to, but I just love the bladder. I think it's so cool. No, I'm, I'm sure there's listeners out there who are super interested in that as well. So that's totally fine. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Madeline. I've really enjoyed being on the Voices of Aging podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Follow Voices of Aging and ASIC on social media for more information about the episodes and guests on the podcast and to learn more about us as a student group. See you next time.